is picking up, but I have a little bit of practice having gone round a number of churches that are not mic'd up. So I just want to make sure that I am enunciating enough that you understand what I'm saying, which then means that I can be a little bit more comfortable and I can do this. Excellent. So are we good? Are we here? Are we good? Are we fine? Please, I am a I am a feedback guy. If you can't hear me, or you want to nod, or you want to shake your head, you think I'm a raving heretic, don't hesitate to tell me. That's okay. I can deal with this. We can go in another direction if you don't like where we're going. It's all good. Don't you just hate it when the youth pastor steals your thunder? Here I was coming to be able to share with you that, that we were going to do something special together over two weeks. By the way, if you have any problem with me being here two weeks, I'm Lindsay's cousin. Take it out on her. She's the one that's actually the person that's responsible for this. I was going to come with the surprise of being able to tell you that in two weeks we're going to study a whole book of the Bible. Woo! I know, exciting, right? And I was going to get you to go through anything. We know it's Philemon. We know that's where it's looking. The string of where she took you, Kirsty, is that her name? Kirsty? The string of where Kirsty took you, I want you to park it. Okay? Park it to one side because we're going to have to deal with something first before we deal with the idea of forgiveness. And the forgiveness side, or whatever that encapsulates, we will be dealing with next week. So that gives you a reason to come back next week. Or alternatively, you heard Kirsty and what she said, if you don't like me, it gives you a reason not to come next week. And you've still had everything that you need to get from the book of Philemon. We're going to look together, and I wonder if you can open your Bibles with me. This is a prison epistle. This is a letter that Paul wrote while he was imprisoned, and in and around this letter is a story, and it's a very human story that encapsulates it. It's a story of two people, Philemon and Onesimus. We need to ground ourselves in the nature of what we can find out from Scripture of what Philemon was like and who Paul knew him to be, before we can take the step of actually looking at what the actions that were required of him in the faith were. So this week, I want you to forget about Onesimus, and I want us just to focus in on the guy that is the title of this book, Philemon. I want you to search with me if you are willing to do so, as we try and pull even from the little suggestions of what Paul says, and indeed how he chooses to say it, to see if we can learn something not about just this guy, but actually who we are called to be, both as individual Christians and indeed as a church. Because the letters and how they are written, very seldom, even if they are addressed to one, are kept to just one. And you'll find out as we look through this just how that circulation of teaching works as we go through this passage. We're just going to deal with the first seven verses. And so, 
Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all His holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, you have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. May God bless the words of Scripture to our minds and to our hearts. Amen. Amen. We have a, I believe, that we sing in between the Bible reading and the message. And so it's 1116. There is a higher throne. Do we stand, Jim? Yes. We do. Amen. Please be seated. Jim, are you happy there, or would you like to come in the front? Are you good? We're good? Excellent. Excellent. So let's go. Look, it gives me great pleasure to be able to bring you blessings and love from fellow believers in Jesus Christ, all the way from the Lang Toon. And those of you who are from anywhere near the East Coast will know what I'm talking about. The Lang Toon, Kirkcaldy, White's Causeway Baptist Church. We are absolutely delighted to be able to share with you to be able to come. And personally, let me just say as well how appreciative that I wasn't just asked here, but indeed after the last time we were together that I was asked back, which is always a nice, a nice thing to go. Whether that's got anything to do with family ties, I don't know. But certainly it is a pleasure to be able to be here, to be able to worship with you, to be able to discover something new with you. I wanted to tackle something with you that I wasn't doing back at the home church. And I also wanted to tackle a book of Scripture with you that actually I haven't really done in the context of my own personal Bible study. For those of you who would get to know me, um, and for those of you that do know me, you will know that I like obscurity. I like tackling things from a slightly different angle, and I like entering into Scripture to find bits and pieces that we may not have already seen. And the reason I like that is because I like color. Yeah, this is my BBC Two test signals high that I am wearing today, and it's great, it's good. The color that adds the shades and the tones and the quality to the faith that we not only live, but that we project to others is often the thing that I find when I go places is left out. And that's not to say that each of us here are not colorful in our personality. That is to say that we as Christians sometimes are so interested in finding out what the black and whites are that we forget 
about the shades which make not only what we do unique, but make it special and indeed attractive because Jesus Christ is something that people need. He is someone that people need. Amen? Aha. This is what I mean about feedback. I have often wondered, though, in the nature of who I am, in the nature of how I speak, where I come from, indeed what I wear, I have often wondered what the perception of Jesus is through me. Have you ever stopped to pause and think about that? We proclaim here, and we proclaim as Christians, to carry within us not just the Spirit that enters into our heart, not just something of a continuing ministry, not just a word that needs to be spoken, but indeed we proclaim to carry a likeness in our very person, in our very being, which means that what we do and who we are some way is a mirror, however broken that mirror may be, is a mirror to Jesus Christ and a window for others to look into to be able to see Him in who we are. That is a gift and it is a responsibility. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I wonder whether Jesus Christ in me works in spite of me, in spite of some of the things I do some of the things I say. So, the perception of who we are, and indeed what we proclaim of Jesus Christ, is important. I want to suggest to you today that actually that key thought, that idea, that motif, is central in understanding not only who Philemon is in this passage, but actually what we can learn from who he is about who we are in faith. So, why am I saying this? Well, we need to answer the question first about who this Philemon character is, right? And we don't get very much to deal with. It's a fairly short letter, the epistle which is here, but in it are some key phrases, some key words, some key ideas, which is actually going to shape the structure of everything that's going to come later on. So, what do we know about Philemon? Well, something to do with the bit that comes afterwards, but indeed, even from the bits and pieces that we have here, we know that Philemon and his family are fairly well off in the context of biblical Christians. He's got a servant, at least one, that's the Onesimus bit that comes later on. But not only is that, he is the head of a household which contains not simply a family of blood, but a family of faith. You hear the other names that are mentioned right at the beginning of this letter. Yes, go double check to see whether I'm telling you the truth. The other names which are there. So Philemon is a head of a household of both family and family of faith which means that he comes with no little bit of probably financial backing, because heads of households tend to have at least a little bit of money, and if he was going to share some of this stuff with the people who were gathering in his church, in his house church, then indeed he must have had something to give away, correct? But he also has people who are under his responsibility, 
his care, his charge. And that indeed for an epistle is an important point to be able to take on because these people, these heads of households, they had a tough job. They weren't just responsible for their own actions and what they displayed and what they actually did for the faith, but they then in turn became the de facto leaders who were responsible for the actions of the church. And if you look at the beginning of other epistles, other letters, other bits and pieces, including bits in Revelation, you see just how important it is to be a leader of one of these families, one of these house churches, out with the reach of church elders who would have come to visit. Think for yourself for a moment about the letter to the Romans, the leadership of the Roman church. Think about that in the context of judgment. Or think for a moment, if you will, about the letter to the Hebrews and the ideas of salvation which are carried within that, all demonstrated by the people, all given to the leaders of the church to be able to share out. Or if you will and you want to look, think of the poverty of Smyrna. You think you are poor, but indeed you are rich. You know the phrase? Maybe you'll know the other phrase even better. Think of the church leadership in Laodicea. You are neither hot nor cold. You are lukewarm, and I want to spit you out. The responsibility which is carried upon the shoulders of the leadership of a household, and indeed a church that meets in a household, is important, it's big, it's tough. And the beginning of the letters that we see, well, they're actually a really important vision of what's going to come. I mean, you can imagine if one of these guys, if you indeed had been one of those leaders and you were about to receive one of those letters, minute, the whole tone of what's going to come in the rest of this letter is hanging on the way that this person is going to address you. And this is not just some meager person who may be your equal. This is Paul. This is the mass murderer who was turned. This is the guy that lost his sight. This is a person who hasn't just had teaching about God, but has specifically, instrumentally, and indeed physically met him and was changed by him. What this guy has to say is important. And it's going to be important not just for Philemon, but it's important for us as well. Because contained within the theology, contained within these words, contained within the story of what is to come, is not just our access to be able to see from the outside what is going on, but it's our access to be able to see, well, actually, Paul here is acting as a mouthpiece of God. And this book has made it all the way into Scripture, which means somehow this book, this letter, must have some importance to tell us. So, who Philemon is, who his church is because of him, because of the faith that he portrays, because of the understanding that he has, because of the actions that he developed, this is key. This is almost God turning around to us and saying, see this Philemon guy, this is what he is like. Oofed. Are you nervous about opening the letter? So, what does Paul say? It's a big deal. Well, you'll be pleased to know it's mainly encouragement. Maybe the first thing Philemon would have noticed was that it was short. Oh, 
But this isn't just random, spurious, or generic praise that Philemon is receiving. It's not the sort of, well done, my man. You're doing good. You know that, well done, son. I get that a lot. I don't know whether it's because I'm 35 and quite a lot of the people I hang out with at the moment are over 70. (laughs) But well done, son, seems to be a phrase, a turn of phrase that they enjoy using. It's borderline ruffle of the hair moment. This is not that. Paul chooses his words carefully. He speaks in specifics. I mean, would you expect anything else from the man that was proclaimed to be the Pharisee of Pharisees? This guy knows a bit. He understands something of what it is to be able to choose your words carefully. The threat that I was so often given as a child. Well, what do we have here? If you jump to verses 4 and 5, you'll see that English word love. Ugh. I don't want to get into the, the whole thing about the 700 words for love that exist in Greek and the one that we've got and the fact that they don't cover. I just want to take you very, very briefly through what that love is. Paul links it very carefully. He links it to not only the thankfulness he has to God for this person, Philemon, but he links it to the faith that Philemon has in Jesus Christ. And he orders it very specifically. Did you notice? Thank God every time I think about you for the faith that you have in Jesus Christ and the love that you project because of that is the nature of how the sentence is that Paul is doing. So, what is that love? Well, if that love is linked to the type of love that Jesus Christ demonstrates, then that gives us our understanding of the agape. I'm sorry, I didn't agree. But what is that? It's not just simply an idea of brotherhood or kinship. I belong to you, you belong to me. But it's a love that's based and sacrificially based on the demonstration that Jesus Christ gave to the disciples.
but not just willing to die, to live again. Oof. Wow. Philemon, when I look at you, I see the love that Jesus Christ gave. I want you to pause there for a moment. Can you imagine anyone saying that about you? Or here? I tell you where I want my name to be. Ron, when I look at you, I see the love of Christ in you. Jings. Can you imagine a higher order of praise than that for someone like Paul to give someone like Philemon? Am I right? Is there a higher praise? That one man could turn to another man and say, when I look at you, I don't see a broken image. I see the full image of Jesus Christ and His actionable love as I have personally experienced. I see that in you. And Paul doesn't just stop there, by the way. Paul wants to emphasize that. He wants to bring it home. Because we all like a little bit of encouragement, yes? We all like to be told that we're doing well. I'm pretty sure most of us in here would be like to be told, you're doing like Jesus did. But Paul goes one step further. And as the verses develop and as the story develops and as his own idea develops, he wants to take Philemon out of his own individual bubble. He wants to say to him, actually, it's not just about what you sacrifice and the way that you demonstrate. Because obviously what Philemon is doing within the means of what he has is to be able to take the blessings that he has and share. Share with everyone who is around. Share with the people who are coming into contact. And that's not just exclusive of the church because Paul goes further. Yes, he says, I love you because of the love that you have for the brothers. But he goes further in his desire. He says, I wish of you that other people would be able to see it. I wish that more people, I wish that you would have that sense of being able to go beyond just the context of there. I wish more people would come and engage with you because Paul recognizes something in this man. He recognizes that this is such a Christ-centered gift that Philemon has. It's so, so instrumentally connected to God and His love as he desires to see it spread throughout the world that Paul says, I want more people to meet you. I'm going to pray to God that you come into contact with more. Because the love that you have is the love that people need. So I asked you whether there was a bigger compliment that you could get. That was it, right? <laughs> not only does you as a person, Philemon, not only do you remind me of the Jesus Christ that I know, that I understand, that I've experienced, that I've touched, that I have been with, who came into my life, not only do you remind me of Him, but I am so sure of how foundationally based you are in that Christ that I want more people to come to you. Whoa. <sighs> 
Philemon's a good guy, right? Yeah? This is not just generic stuff. This is Paul getting specific. He's speaking about the bonds of fellowship that exist in the close connection that Philemon has with God, and he wants those bonds shared. I had this lecturer while I was at college, um, Stuart Blythe. Some of you may know the name. He introduced me the concept, the concept of what it was to be surrounded by God's love. And the way he said it to me was this. He said, Ron, the Trinity is something which is non-understandable. I said, well, that's great. You're supposed to be the lecturer. No, I didn't say that. But he said, the closest that I've ever been able to come to be able to visualize in my head what it's like to be involved in the love of God, which exists in the Holy Trinity, which is somehow that eternal bond that keeps everything together, is to think of it as a Scottish country dance. The Trinity of God dances in one purpose of love with each other, and you are invited in. You're a partner. And you're not a partner because you are equal to God. You're a partner because the person who's playing the music decided to call for other people to get on the dance floor. I loved that picture. Paul's going to Philemon, share the dance. And you're waiting for me to break into Lord of the Dance, and I'm not doing it. I want to be there. I want to be the name Philemon. I want to be inserted into that place. I want me and you. I want the church that I run and the church that Ross has. I want all of us together, individually. I want all of us together as a union. I want the Christian brethren and the Christian brothers and sisters and the Christian mums and dads, and the Christian aunts and uncles, and all the other people that we engage with spiritually through our life, I want all of them to be in the dance, and I want it to be an open dance. I want us to have our names inserted into that point in Scripture. I want it to be Ron. I want it to be Airdrie. I want it to be White's Causeway. I want it to be Baptist Union of Scotland. I want it to be Christian church throughout the world. I see in you the love of Jesus. I see the sacrificial love that understands the blessings that you have and doesn't wish to hoard them. And right there, right there is where we have to break away and take our element of teaching. Steph's getting worried now because I'm putting my sermon away. I was raised in a musical household. I had hymns and I had brass bands. I had um, singing and pianos. I had Christmas times with family and New Year celebrations where we would gather around pianos. And in the midst of singing that music, I remember singing... Um, some of the older hymns that used to come together. Who knows Count Your Blessings? 
Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Count your blessings, name them one by one. We're good at that, right? Well, sometimes. I'm serious, though. If we take our lives and we place them into a context where, where we are specifically trying to find somewhere in this life, we're trying to find how the Lord has molded, the Lord has worked, the Lord that's done. I am hopeful, I won't say I'm certain, but I'm hopeful that if I was to ask each of you the ways in which the Lord has blessed you to bring you to this point in your life, if you went digging in your life, you would be able to find them. Am I right? Don't tell me if I'm wrong. And once you start pulling on those threads, once you start counting those blessings, what you have is the basis for the testimony that you carry in your life, yes? God has taken me through this bit. He's brought me to this bit. And what we are fundamentally designed to do as human beings is to individualize and personalize that story. That is what we do as humans. I love God because He did this for me. I love God because He gave this to me. I can tell you right now, the house that Steph and I currently live in in Cowdenbeath is a blessing and a gift from God because of the circumstances that came round. If anybody asks me about those circumstances, I will gladly tell them the story. I'll tell you about the stuff that brought me to that point. I'll tell you about the blessings that I have. And I'll tell you about those gifts that have been given that allow me to live a life which is so blessed that I am able to be a pastor of a church. I count that as such a, and a remarkable privilege. And the fact that all of us here are able to exist as we do, the fact that even each of us here are born or live here in Scotland and not in some other part of the world, and I say that not as a nationalist, I say that understanding that where we are, we are mainly in a privileged society in first world. The fact that we are here is a blessing and we can recount those blessings. Can I tell you what Philemon is not? Philemon is not a recounting of the blessings that he has been given, because fundamentally, the story of Philemon and why it is so powerful is because he is known not for what he has, but for what he has given. Do you see where I'm going? We get stuck sometimes, you and I, and maybe I more than you, in telling the story of how God has blessed and raised up our life and forgotten that a part of that blessing and a part of what it means to be able to take what we have and to be able to proffer it over to God doesn't simply just involve me telling you how great it is to currently live in Cowdenbeath or to serve in a part of Kirkcaldy. It's not just about me recounting my testimony. It's about me using the blessings I have to help you find yours. Because the sacrificial love that Philemon demonstrates and that even Jesus Christ had wasn't based on Jesus simply coming down to earth and saying, I am great, I am God, believe in me, follow me, I will tell you stories. No, it was found in the instances where justice was defended, where poor people were given something to hope for, where somebody who couldn't be healed by the doctors of this world was given a miraculous healing, 
where somebody who is excluded from the side of life is able to then be able to come and tell the story of how they were brought in, about how Jesus spoke to them, about how he looked at them. It's about blind men having mud rubbed in their eye and given sight. It's about people carrying into houses that couldn't walk and ended up dancing down the street. It's about Jesus Christ and those that follow Him not simply being satisfied to hoard their blessings for themselves, but being willing to give as Agape gives, to use the blessings that we have to help other people find their blessing. Do you see the difference? What is so special about this guy? Do you understand why it wasn't just a chance fluke that his letter ended up in the Bible, but actually it was predominantly, it was, it was vital for us to be able to see, because here is a man that is recognized by Paul as being willing not simply to be known for what he has, but to be known for what he has given. And that is the story And it's not just his story. This is my story. Next words. This is my song. Songs don't make sense unless you sing apart from when you're in the shower. Unless they're performed. Unless they're sung out. The power of Christ is not something that we are meant to love to keep. It's something that we're meant to love to give. Yes? May your blessings be so innumerable that you conny hold on to them, as they would say back in Maples. Conny. but may they be something which you are dying to share. In Jesus' name, amen.